0: Good morning and uh, welcome again. It's uh, What a great spirit in the house this morning. Uh, For those of us going to reach this week, I know we're looking forward to it. But I'll tell you, for those who cannot go, boy, this is pretty good. And uh, what a great spirit again. And uh, happy 4th of July to uh, the congregation. The Spanish explorer... Hernan Cortez set sail for Mexico. He had with him an entourage of 11 ships, some 13 horses, 110 sailors, and just 553 soldiers. The indigenous population, upon his arrival, Was estimated to be approximately 5 million. Now, from a purely mathematical standpoint, the odds uh, were stacked quite against this expedition succeeding. In fact, it was a ratio of 7,541 to 1. Two previous expeditions to the New World had failed. Failed to even establish a settlement. As conquered much, if not most, of the South American continent. Now, what Cortez is reported to have done in this expedition is of an epic tale and mythical proportions. He issued an order that turned his mission into an all-or-nothing proposition. His order, upon landing, was simply burn... The ships. Burn the ships. Can you imagine what must have been going through the minds of his crew as they looked out at the the ocean there and saw the ships burning and ultimately sinking and came to terms with the fact, retreat. Failure was not an option. If you can somehow compartmentalize the moral conundrum of colonization for a moment, I'm telling you there is an incredibly valuable lesson here for us to learn from history. You see, some nine out of ten times, failure is resorting to plan B when plan A either gets too risky or too costly or, dare I say, too difficult. That's why, if I can just be so candid, Most people today are living life with their plan B. You see, they didn't burn the ships. In the southwest region, we've been studying this summer the theme of courage. And we started talking about 20 seconds of insane courage. Some of you heard also heard that lesson. You know, I don't know if you've realized this or not, but uh, exactly one half of the year is now over. You know, the exciting thing is, is, you know, we can forget what's behind and look forward to the second half. You know, in, in sports they wisely build in a halftime. It's a nice bathroom break. It's a great way to push the uh, hot dogs. But it's really also designed for the teams to regroup, refocus, learn what they can from the first half, and make the necessary adjustments. And I think that's exactly where Most of us, if we're honest with ourselves, really need to be here this morning, is we need to evaluate our first six months. We need to look back and say, have I settled in 2016 for plan B because plan A has become too costly or too difficult? You know, in 1 Kings chapter 9, we're going to look at a person, a real flesh and blood example of, of someone who really burned the ships, literally, in his life. And we've been studying, like I said, this summer, different examples of those that had 20 seconds of insane courage or made a faith statement, and this morning is no different. In 1 Kings chapter 19, we look at Elisha. And in verse 19, we read this moment in his life. So Elijah went and found Elisha, son of Saphat, plowing a field. There were 12 teams of oxen in the field, and Elisha was plowing with the 12th team. Elijah went over to him and threw his cloak across his shoulders and then walked away. Elisha left the oxen standing there, ran after Elijah, and said to him, First, let me go and kiss my father and mother goodbye, and then I will go with you. Elijah replied, Go on back, but think, but think about what I have done to you. So Elisha returned to his oxen, and he slaughtered them there. He used the wood from the plow to build a fire to roast their meat to the townspeople, and they all ate. Then he went with Elijah As his assistant. You know, without a doubt, this is Elisha's all in moment, if you will. Elisha wasn't just buying in, I'm telling you, he was completely, completely selling out. There was going to be no plan B. You know, there are many moments I've learned in my life when I've had to really consciously burn the ships of my past. What a great thing to do in Christ. We do so by making defining decisions that will totally eliminate the possibility of selling back to the old world, that old comfortable world we left behind in our Europe. You know, I put before you, you've got to burn the ship of past failure. And you also have to burn the ship, I've learned, of past success. Think about that. You have to burn the ship named bad habits. You have to burn the ship named habitual sin. Some of us, we need to burn the ship called regret. Regrets or burn the ship named My Old Way of Life. I'm telling you, that's precisely what Elisha did in his 20 seconds of insane courage. He turned his plowing equipment into kindling, and he had a barbecue with his oxen. There's got to be a little Texan somewhere in the sky. Yeah, before I moved to Texas, I didn't realize how much barbecuing went on in scriptures. But it's amazing now that you're a Texan, you just see it everywhere. For some of us, this is the hard 12. You've heard of the hard 8? Yeah, this is the hard twelve. Twelve yoke of oxen slaughtered. And barbecue in essence guys it was really his his last supper it was his last supper he was saying goodbye if you will to his old life and he was kindly throwing a party for his friends man they uh, they shared a meal together no doubt probably that night shared some great stories memories into perhaps even the early morning hours, who knows. But I'm telling you, it was the bonfire that made it the most meaningful night of his life because it symbolized the old Elisha. It was the last day, if you will, of his old life. It was the first day, if you will, of his new life. And burning the plowing equipment was Elijah's way of burning the ships in his life. You know, you're probably thinking right now about what ship you need to set ablaze in your life right now. I believe the Holy Spirit works that way. And I'm telling you that... It was the end of Elijah, beginning of Elijah the prophet. Now, I'm telling you, which one sounds better to you on a business card? You know, I I know how challenging this is to be all in. To not go through the first half of 2016 settling for mediocrity, living our plan B when God really could take us to our plan A. And I want you to just think for a moment for Elisha how challenging this really was for him and what specifically he was giving up. Because I think we could just read over this passage and not really, really let it sink in what this man, this young man was giving up. Let me help you a little bit. Elisha was born and raised in a region of Israel known as Abel Mahoina. Now the English meaning of that Hebrew word is meadow of dancing dancing meadow boy doesn't that sound nice it sounds pretty comfy in fact it was actually the breadbasket of the whole jordan river valley and man if you're going to be in farming that's the place you want to have land and elisha's family had An amazingly productive farming operation. You see, most farms were small enterprises back then, and they consisted of a single plow with a single oxen. Having 12 yoke of oxen, along with the farmhands to plow, is evidence that Elisha came from a very wealthy family. And it was all his to inherit. Burning the plowing equipment was more than just quitting his job, guys. It meant divesting himself from his share in the family. It may have even been writing himself, who knows, out of the family will. And this is not a society where Social Security is going to step in. Elijah, I just want to really drive home. He could have lived his entire life in the dancing meadows. You know what? So can we. So can we. But we know he didn't. And I'm telling you, so many of us wonder what the future holds. You know, Jesus was really wise when he says, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough trouble of its own, just focus on today. Boy, wiser words have never been spoken. But a lot of us get caught up in, you know, as we, as we start to age and as we start to change, what does the future hold? Well, the only way I've learned to predict the future is to be actively involved in creating it. You don't just let it happen. You make it happen. And Elisha was deciding, I'm going to make the future what God wants it to be in my life. You know, I think too many of us are now enslaved to the past tense. If we were writing the biography of our life, it would be in the past tense. And I just want to really wake you up in the second half of the year here, and as many of us are about to embark on a life changing spiritual event called REACH, and others of us are going to go online and listen to the classes or watch some of them live stream if that's possible. But I'm telling you, this is a great pivotal moment for us. Someone is about to throw a mantle around our shoulders if we're paying attention. We're going to go to a, to a, to a conference and my challenge is just to walk out of there with one commitment move. Just, just everything you take in. I do this at marriage retreats. I go, Connie and I made a decision. I think we're up to something like 50, 52 marriage retreats right now. And we, uh, we just go in with the mindset, we're going to pick one thing that we're really going to go after this year in our marriage. And that's my challenge with reach, is is, is really walk out of there next Sunday at this time with thought put into what is going to be my commitment move. Or to put it another way, what's going to be my statement of faith, like Elijah, going forward the rest of this year? What ship am I going to burn in my life? Because I don't know about you, but I, I get bored living in the past tense. This is not something new, I will tell you, and you've heard me in the Southwest say this before, but, but I love to remind people that, that God is always at work. I don't know if you thought about this or not, but Jesus says in John 5.17, My Father is always working. And so am I. And this may rock your word a little bit, but he works on the Sabbath too. For you Sabbath keepers. Let me translate what Jesus says in John 5.17 in a paraphrase. Version. I call this the Mancini paraphrase version. I've only translated one verse so far, so you won't see it in Bible Gateway. But the paraphrased is simply this. God is always up to something. God is always up to something. You know, we want God to do something new but we keep doing the same old things. We want to change our circumstances without us having to change anything in our routine. But if we're asking God for new wine, we need new wineskins. You see, God doesn't live in the past tense. Think about this. His name is not I was, the great I was commands you to go. God is the great I am, present, showing up for duty, ready to change our lives. He's our ever-present helper. You see, I'm just trying to help you understand when we cling too tightly to what God did last, Sadly, we often miss out on what God wants to do next. Most of us get stuck spiritually because we keep doing the same thing while expecting different results. You know, what I'm trying to really say in another way is at some point in our Christian life, most of us stop living Out of imagination. Do you remember the imagination you had when you first came to Christ? I remember my quiet times, and I remember my conversations with brothers in my campus ministry, and we would literally sit around into the wee hours of the morning on the fire well of our residence hall, and we'd be talking about where do you think you're going to go to plant your first campus ministry, and what, what do you think uh, we'll be in, in five years? I will tell you, no one said Dallas. No one did. And God has a way of, of, of opening up horizons that we can't even begin to imagine, But somewhere in our Christian life, I just really want to put on your heart that we stop living out of imagination and we start living out of memory. I believe many of us right now are living out of memory. And that's why we need summits. That's why we need to listen to God's Word being preached and go on and listen to many of those classes that were not even those of us that go to reach or even going to have a chance to listen to or be at because you can only choose one. Have you looked at that list of classes? I mean, how do you even begin to pick So those of us that are going, we just get more fellowship, but we're going to be in the same boat when we come back. We're going to need to go online, download on a podcast, and listen to so much because there's so much there. You see, the day we stop living out of imagination is the day we start dying spiritually. And a scripture that I really want to impress upon you going into the second half of this year, is Philippians 3, verse 12. It's a great verse. And it says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on. Catch that. I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I've not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race, to receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. I love that little phrase that appears in that great scripture twice. I press on. You see, for me, it reminds me of basketball. You know, you can sit back in a half court defense. And you know, as you get a little older, you tend to want to let them come to you. And so you play more of a half court spiritual defense. Or you can have a defensive, or excuse me, a defensive way of playing the game that's you know, uh, that's a defensive way of playing the game that protects the lead. And, and really, what you're doing is you're playing not to lose. You got a little bit of a lead. By the grace of God, you're going to get into heaven through the grace door, as we all are. But, but you're really just playing not to lose. Let's just sit on the lead. No need to run down and meet them as they're bringing the ball up. Let them come to at least half court. In football, we call it prevent defense. But there is, if you will, an offensive way to play defense. And it's called the full court press. Press. My high school basketball team in the state of Illinois two years in a row went to state. Came up just one game shy of the championship, and we're talking about Chicago area high schools here. But I look back on on those games, and I remember that when we were just kind of holding our own the coach would have us put a full-court press on those teams in the playoffs. And, And you don't get to the playoffs, you don't even get to the championship game by playing prevent defense. You force the issue. You take the game to them. You don't let the game come to you. My question is simply this, six months in, Halftime, coming back, the crowd is cheering us as we come back into the arena, the gymnasium. It's time to put on a full-court press. You may have a little lead, so what? They're coming back and they're going to be pressing you. And how do you put on a full-court press? Well, let me ask you, are you playing offense in your relationships in Christ? Or has your relationships kind of evolved into prevent defense? I won't get in your life if you don't get in mine. We'll just meet at half court and go man to man. You know, I'm not even comfortable with man to man. Let's go zone. You keep your distance, I'll keep mine. If you're trying to go, you know, I might step in there, but, but let's just do zone. A lot of us are playing zone defense when it comes to relationships. Let, let me just read to you one scripture. It's Colossians 1, and 29. And I'm purposely going to J.B. Phillips on this one because I want to wake you up a little bit in your relationships this morning. It says, so naturally, we proclaim Christ. We want everyone we meet, and we teach everyone we can. All that we know about him, so that if possible, we may bring every man up to full maturity in Christ. This is why I am working at all the time. And with all the strength that God gives me. Man, Paul says here, we warn everyone we meet. We teach everyone we can. We have as our goal full maturity for everyone our path crosses in Christ. He says, that's why I am working all the time with all of the strength, and us who are older will appreciate that one, with all the strength he so powerfully works in me, as one translation says. Now, have I just described your circle of relationships in the church? Or is the Holy Spirit just flashing saying, you are checked out? You know, we have these things called Bible Talks in the Southwest region, in the West Sector. They're basically an evangelistic Bible study on Wednesday night that no visitors come to. We call them Bible Talks. You know, it's halftime. And we decided, you know, if we're going to meet on Wednesday nights, as precious as everyone's schedule is and their time is. We're, we're going to reevaluate what we're doing and why we're doing. We're not, we're not going to give up evangelism, but we're going we're to start meeting in family groups. And we're going to reorganize and we're going to structure things so that we actually have a manageable group of people around us. And, and we're going to have groups where discipling occurs right there. And we're going to call people to to set as the go Christ, and we're going to encourage each other, and we're going to help each other be more like Christ. No more of this prevent defense. No more of this, uh, you know, we'll just sit on the lead that really is no lead at all, because if you look up at the scoreboard, the lead is vanishing, and they're pressing. And so I I just say to you, Elisha is such a timely example to me of someone who understood he needed to burn his ship. He needed to go get that oxen, and it was time for Todd to barbecue them for him. (laughs) It was time to throw a party. It was time to to say goodbye to the old and to usher in the new. And you know, I'll just say this as I wind my thoughts down. Because Elisha was all in, he got a double anointing of Elijah's spirit. He had the moxie to ask for it as a final request when Elijah says, what do you want me to do for you? And Elijah is so taken back, he says, man, you've asked for a very difficult thing. If you see me when I'm taken away, then it will be yours, but it's not mine to grant. And I don't know if you know this or not, but what's really cool is, yes, he does see Elijah be taken up in chariots of fire, but it's it's hard to rank, if you will, the prophets. It's tough. But if there was an ancient fantasy league in Israel, just understand this: Elisha would be a first round pick. Elisha would get extra credit for parting the Jordan River, raising a boy from the dead. How many of those occurred in the Bible? Making an iron axe head float. Why did God give Elijah a double portion? Well, simply put, Elisha didn't hold out on God, so God didn't hold out on Elisha. And what is so cool is during his 60 years of prophetic ministry, Elijah performed 28 miracles as recorded in Scripture. I might just add, that's ironically twice as many as the 14 miracles the prophet Elijah performed. You see, Elijah could have lived the rest of his life in the dancing meadows. And so can we. I hope that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you this morning saying, what is your commitment move? What true statement of faith right now I don't care if you're 60. What true statement of faith right now do you need to make for your life? Man, six years ago, I made a statement of faith, Connie and I did, when we put a torch to our very successful real estate business and some nice income and a lot of freedom from being self employed and said, you know, We're we're just settling for Zoar. And it's time to burn the ship. Man, we burned the ship, and we lived for the next year on our savings from our real estate business. We had no ministry position. We had no job. And we interviewed for the next six months. I'm really grateful Dallas felt sorry for us. (laughs) It was the last place we interviewed And uh, it sure felt good, and it sure felt right. But I just say that not to say how great we are, but just to say, hey, we were in our mid-50s. It's never too late to burn the ships, guys. It's never too late to say, you know, it's time to put full-court press in and stop playing half-court defense. I close with this thought. We're about to take communion. You know, the simple fact is Elijah didn't withhold anything from God. And to me, it's such a reminder of what communion is all about. Being reminded that God loved us so much that he didn't withhold anything from us either. And that just as God made his statement of faith, of his love for us, It's time for us at halftime here to make our statement of faith and decide today, this week, what our commitment move will be. For those we'll see at reach, go in. Focused on one thing that you're going to walk away from and bring it back to enrich the Dallas church. For those who won't be at reach, Wow, you're just going to have a lot more time to pray and think and spend this week really focusing on what God is saying. I, I, I put before you, I believe the Holy Spirit is even speaking to you now. Communion is a time set aside each week to examine ourselves. We certainly have something to examine ourselves with this morning. Many people believe they are following Jesus, but you see, they have mistakenly invited Jesus to follow them. We're called to burn the ships, to follow Jesus. Let us bow as we examine ourselves and ask God to speak to us.